This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 418. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined by our co-host and producer, extraordinaire, awesome dude, Matthew Marister. Hello, Graybeard. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> not Graybeard actual, though, just to be clear. He's not, you know, he's not that 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 little guy. I'm the poser. Some, some folks will... <laughs> Maybe if you're in the know, you're in the know. Actually, I hope to get Matt Little on the podcast someday. We'll see. Um, who is the actual graybeard? Actual. That's <laughs> that's a funny thing to say. Okay, so today's podcast is a legislative news episode. Super excited to get into the stories today because this stuff's important, and uh, we do our best to bring the latest legislative uh, news and happenings in the industry. Uh, of course, we cover things from across the country. We cover some spe- specific state issues as well that are particularly re- relevant. Uh, we sometimes do like a 50-state roundup sort of thing. Uh, we called that what? Something reload or something. I think we came up with some term. As you can tell, we're super organized here at the Concealed Carry Podcast. But, uh, you know, the interesting thing with this whole COVID-19 uh, thing, Matthew, and I'm sure you're, you're well aware of this or that you've noticed as you're digging for stories, because Matthew's the one, by the way, that puts together uh, and collects all these stories for us, uh, is that with COVID-19, there's not as much happening on the state levels, it seems, uh, with regards to gun-related legislation. Right. There's yep. a lot of proposal, proposed stuff and people trying to slip stuff in, like executive order-wise. But as far as like legislative hearings, there's really not much going on. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's relatively quiet and that makes it challenging sometimes to find content to talk about in our legislative episode. But today is not going to be a letdown at all. Uh, we've got a number of great stories we'll be talking about, so stay tuned. But today's episode is sponsored and brought to you by First. The uh, Laser X dry fire training software from Laser App, uh, the Laser App folks. You can check it out at laserapp.com. Uh, that is L A S R, just so you know. Um, I'm, I'm, I, f- I fear that people confuse it and put it, you know, tr- they hear our links or something and go try to go to L A S E R A P P.com or something and totally mess it up. But uh, check out the LaserX version of the software. works on any internet-connected mobile or computer device. I use it all the time on my phone or tablet, uh, both Apple devices. And it used to be that you could only run the Laser software on a Windows machine. So super excited about the LaserX uh, program. And it has been viable in dry fire practice and training. Also, today's episode brought to you by Next Level Training's CERT Training Pistols. We, we would encourage you to check those out and pick one up if you haven't already or if you need another model, such as the newer P320 models they have available. In fact, they have a full-size and compact P320-based uh, uh, training model. And then also they've got the M&P models still, the Glock models, and the Pocket Pistol model, which is very closely sized to a Glock 43, Smith & Wesson uh, M&P Shield, or even the P365. It doesn't follow any of those specific shapes or forms, but it's 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 close enough to any of those that it would be valuable for someone looking for dry fire laser training with a compact, very, very small micro compact size gun. 
Check out the Cert Pistols. Go to concealedcarry.com. You can see the full lineup in our store there. Uh, we're proud partners of the Next Level, the Next Level Training team. And uh, for a direct link, you can also go to concealedcarry.com forward slash Cert, S-I-R-T. And then finally, we recognize uh, as a as a sponsor, AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. That's that's my my choice, my place I go to when I'm purchasing ammo, especially online. Uh, of course, things have been harder to find in recent uh, weeks and and months since uh, COVID nineteen began. But I would encourage you to still check out AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. They they get new inventory in almost every day, and uh, they're really really great guys. They ship super super fast. Speaking of which, Matthew, uh, all three of those companies are involved with a special project that we have called Shooter Ready Challenge. Yes, sir. And uh, do you know what this month's Shooter Ready Challenge is? I happen to know. (laughs) Why don't you spill the beans, sir? (laughs) So Shooter Ready Challenge this month um, is going to be talking about natural point of aim, how to establish it and why it's kind of important in instinctive shooting. or um, So... Yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool, cool little uh, video and and tests that you run or drills that you're running this week. Yeah. Um, so here's the thing. I, people talk a lot about natural point of aim, uh, and I think that can mean a lot of things. All right, because like the classic way of teaching it is that a person will have uh, natural point of aim of some sort and that you should try to identify what that is and then try to train around that. And that used to be how I think, you know, how I thought about it. And I do think there's there's a lot there that still plays into to what we're going to discuss here. But uh, but I think that also natural point of aim can be trained and probably should be trained. And what I mean by that is, let's just suppose, Matthew, that I, I do a natural point of aim exercise with you. And I have you stand there as, as a student and, and draw and present to a target. And, you know, we make some adjustments and realize that, well, for you to really, I mean, like your natural point of aim is such that you've got to like duck your head down low or something crazy so you can find your sights. Well, that that seems kind of odd and strange to me. And that, that's how, that's one way I've seen this sort of thing be, be taught. Um, I, I think that we want to work with what our nat- our body naturally is inclined to do. But then we we feed into that some some training objectives, and, and by that I mean that we we're going to go through certain drills and perform certain you know repetitions uh, to help us train the body and the mind to work with our natural point of aim and also refine it and, and make it uh, uh, you know make it very applicable to how we run a gun. So this month's shooter ready challenge, by the way, was uh, to, to Matthew's point, kind of builds on that on that idea on that concept, and we use just a simple draw and put one round on target, you know, drill, which is really it's one of the very basic, uh, one of the basic challenges in the in the challenges package or or whatever challenges pack I think they call it in the Laser X software. Uh, whether you do it from the concealed inside waistband holster, or there's also a secondary option. You could do it from an outside waistband holster. Now, I demonstrated it in the video this month from OWB, which is fine, uh, just because I wanted to mix it up for myself personally. Uh, but basically, the idea is that, uh, uh, you know, I do some some dry reps, 
of just, you know, draw and get my sights on target and just kind of get warmed up and get used to that idea. And then we kind of throw a little wrench into the plans, Matthew. And what was that wrench? Yeah, so you're shooting shooting with your eyes closed for to, to confirm that or test that uh, natural point of aim. Right. So those of you that will participate in the Shooter Ray Challenges Month, uh, we, we then, this month's drill is basically drawing and putting one round on target, uh, but then doing it eyes closed. And we do a bunch of repetitions and we go through it, doing it slowly and, and you know, trying to be more accuracy focused. Uh, and then we do it fast, right? Which I, I like how that progression happens because you can get to a point where you can close your eyes and draw pretty consistently and get somewhere on that target. But then we start throwing speed at it again. It's like we start picking up that speed and then things will sometimes, you know, break down. And so that's a great opportunity to go, okay, all right. You know, each time you do this, here's the idea. And this is the key to doing this whole drawing and getting the sights up on target with your eyes closed. Uh, you know, here, here's what's really important is that every time you do it, you want to get up on target with your, you know, your eyes are closed. Of course, you drew from the holster, eyes closed, you get on target, at least where you think the target is. And then you want to open the eyes and then you want to see where you are in relation both, I, I want to pay attention. Here's a couple things, and I don't know if I explained this as well as I could have in the video, but I want to pay attention to where my eyes, my eye line is in relation to my sights. Is there any adjustment that I need to make there? Right? So, like, if my sights are below my eye line, then I want to make the adjustment necessary to bring that up, right? And then each time you're making these adjustments, you want to, you want to be paying attention to what it feels like. You really got to kind of get in touch with your feelings with doing this kind of drill because you, you need to pay attention to your body and where it's located. Now, that actually has a word that describes that, body awareness. Can you say that fancy word, Matthew? Body awareness? Or are you talking about proprioception? Proprioception, yes. Which is, that's pretty much what it is, is proprioception is is being aware of your body, its position and, and movements and stuff in your body. All right. And high, high, high level uh, athletes and performers have a high proprioception level because they have to be very aware. Think about a gymnast, right? You know, that, that is going to, I don't know, do the, the uh, uneven bars, right. And where they're, flipping over the bars and jumping between bar and, you know, back and forth and, you know, doing all that amazing stuff. And then at the very end, they dismount, right? And they land. And of course, they're supposed to land and make, you know, this beautiful pose or whatever. And, and you know, to, to do all that and all that twisting and flipping and tumbling and rolling around and all that stuff, like you have to have such amazing proprioception to know where you are, what your body's doing, what you need, you know, little adjustments you got to make along the way. And so we're, we're kind of talking about things on that level that it will help your shooting tremendously if you increase your ability to, uh, as far as the proprioception, right? Mm -hmm. And so this drill uh, is, is designed to help with that, um, that we close the eyes, focus more on what we feel and what we perceive with our body and its positioning, uh, draw to the target, open the eyes get some feedback, see where we are, make slight adjustments. Uh, in the video, I talk about how I made some adjustments with my stance, side to side, uh, you know, and stuff like that. 
And then uh, the the second piece is that by doing this a bunch of times, again and again and again and again and again, and just doing a lot of dry fryer reps, period, are going to help build myelination, which is more commonly referred to and incorrectly, I might add, but commonly referred to as muscle memory. And so recently I was actually doing some studying on myelination, Matthew, and it's really, really, I mean, like you can go so deep into that, into the science of, of how, what the process of myelination, you know, the, the building of myelin, which are these little, these little sheaths that, that, uh, you know, that build themselves onto these, onto these axons, onto these, you know, these brain cells and these pathways. And it's, it's, it's sort of like, and actually something I read recently is, is without myelin, the signals that your brain sends across these synapses and, and everything, they kind of more or less hop along and they're, they're not very efficient. But as we build myelin, it sort of insulates those pathways. And so then it's, it's pure efficiency, just phew. And that's, that's how we get to where, you know, it's those things that we do we don't have to think about, right? When you've done something so many times where well, you've built up the myelin necessary to just the signal and, and the operation happens so quickly, so efficiently that it, it's basically operating subconsciously. And that's where I, I, that's where I hope to be and that's where I hope to encourage others. Uh, many of you f- uh, following us, listening to us, viewing uh, these podcasts and our videos, uh, I want I want you all to to get to a point where the operation of the gun is a subconscious thing because in the, it, it frees up cognitive space bandwidth to mm-hmm. focus on the fight at hand, to, to focus on decision-making, right? You're going to be much more inclined to fail at making appropriate decisions in a stressful environment when you have to be thinking about what you're doing with stuff that should be subconscious. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and if you guys, uh, I mean, you mentioned there's you can get really deep into this, but I, you know, I talked to Jason Speller, and I know you, you've you've interviewed him a bunch of times and stuff uh, from Draw Draw School, and he's uh, he made the barrel block, so he he, he uh, does that, but which we talk about a lot. Um, but he he that Draw School all every, all that curriculum is based upon using your body's natural the way it naturally works. And stop fighting against it to do things that cause you to think and have to perform, but do things that your body naturally wants to do. And that way you're more uh, uh, efficient in your movements and there's less less uh, cognitive, you know, uh, things that you have to think about, just like you said. Mm-hmm. So if you guys want more, in, you know, if you want to dive into it more, uh, he's, he, look up some of the interviews with him or look at Draw School because it's really, really good stuff. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, you know, I think it's really helpful to understand how uh, this kind of stuff works uh, because then it, for at least for, for a person like me, this may not be true of everybody, but knowing how my body works helps me understand why it's important to do the things that I do. Uh, whether as with, you know, dry fire practice is so important. Getting the repetitions in is so important because it takes literally thousands of repetitions of things, of tasks to get to where they start becoming automatic and subconscious. And just so just understanding, you know, how that all builds up and, and that, you know, while those, those 
myelinated pathways can be broken and you can, you know, stop doing things and, and lose some of that. Uh, there is some science that suggests that, that, that a lot of that, those pathways still remain that myelin and that myelin myelin remains and allows you to rebuild that back up relatively quickly. Not, it's not a guaranteed thing, but, but it, it can be that way. So, so anyway, that just shows you how important the practice and the training and the dry fire and all of that is. It, it really, really is, is key uh, if you want to operate at a, at a high level performance-wise. So that's basically the Shoot Rate Challenge this month. I know that we got all sciencey on you and stuff and use big fancy words, but uh, uh, you know, I, I think the drill is a fun one, and uh, I enjoy doing it, uh, you know, just drawing. Closing the eyes, doing my best to put an accurate shot on target, see what the result is, and you know, get that feedback loop going, right, with yourself as you're training and as you're practicing. Okay, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? What's the adjustment I gotta make? And make little adjustments because you make big ones, it's a lot harder to uh to figure things out. Sure. So there you go. ShooterRadyChallenge.com is where you can find it. Check it out. And, of course, uh, participants in Shoot Ready Challenge uh, that participate in the actual challenges in the LaserX software are automatically entered into a monthly drawing for 200 rounds of free ammunition from AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. And we also thank uh, Next Level Training for being a part of, of, of the effort and a sponsor of this, this uh, Shoot Ready Challenge. Yes, sir. All right, Matthew, what's our first story in the legislative news? Yeah, this is a good one. So I'm glad I got to bring this one because normally I'm bringing all the bad stuff, right? Like all these laws and stuff. But this is good. Comes out of Oklahoma. Uh, title is Oklahoma Passes the Country's First Anti-Red Flag Gun Law. So we're constantly hearing like um, state after state introducing red, gun, uh, you know, red flag gun laws, uh, extreme risk gun uh, TROs, basically. Um, and so this is actually the opposite. Um, and it's pretty cool. So uh, just in synopsis, uh, this is the first state uh, to pass such a such a law um, that says that individual jurisdictions cannot actually pass red flag gun laws. So it, it preempts all that stuff. And, and so it says, hey, you can't do it. And yep. they pass it with an eight to two vote, which is which is pretty cool. Um, so this is this is really good um, as far as kind of stopping that trend. It has been a trend. We we see you know every year now in legislative sessions more and more states add red red flag laws to the books as they are commonly called. Uh, you know ex uh, extreme risk protection orders, high risk protection orders, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know obviously the big concern here is the protection of. Second Amendment rights, and they should be taken very seriously. And depending on the state you're in, the level of quality, you know, and the effort that's put into crafting, um, a, if we dare say in quotes, good law, um, you know, it, it might be reasonably a decent red flag law. It's hard to say this, or it might be a really, really, really bad one. And by and large, a lot of these are unneeded, and a lot of them are not written very well, or at least have all kinds of ways they can be abused. Um, it, 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 I mean, the funny thing is, is we passed it here in Colorado, and instantly, there's already been there's been several instances now of people filing false 
red flag laws, you know, where, mm-hmm. cause, because you, you know, you have to be a certain, within a certain category of individuals to be able to be eligible to file one of these against a particular individual. And people are trying to do that left and right. And, and, and the ones we, we hear about, the ones we, we know about that don't go anywhere are the ones because the people have no claim in the, in the matter. There was a, a police officer that had a red flag order uh, filed against him, and this was in northern Colorado, by the mother of a person that he had to shoot in, justified, in a justified use of force incident that was reviewed and was found. I mean, you had an armed individual that, that the cop, you know, there was, there was no other option. The cop had to shoot him. And that individual died, and that individual's mother then tried to, through a very, I'm not going to go into details, I think we actually did talk about it too, she tried to file a red flag order against the cop. Now, it eventually got thrown out, but the point is, some stuff gonna, is going to sneak through. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then also, in a case where you actually have a family member that actually is one of those categories that can file one of these things, you know, it pretty much is... That they are the ones that get believed first, because mm-hmm. proactively, you know, the the order gets filed, cops show up, take your guns into into uh, you know, confiscate your guns, basically, stick them in a storage locker somewhere, an evidence locker, and then you know, three weeks later, you get to go before a judge. It's pretty much how it goes. So anyway, uh, I'm really glad to see Oklahoma passing the country's first anti-red flag gun law. This article on Vice.com is is has the appearance of being written pretty well, but it's also it's a bit of a joke too because it it's definitely biased. It's definitely oh, slanted. Yeah. It, it presents the way it reads. I mean, it definitely presents the appeal. Okay, hold on. Am I back? Yep, you're back. I thought it so, was me, but I think he cut off for a second. Weird. How come the, the audio is the audio is not coming back through my headphones though? Stand by, guys. So while while Riley's fixing that, I'll just let you guys know in the in the article what Riley's talking about how it's kind of slanted. It talks about the the purpose of red flag laws, and it talks about um, obviously it talks about Parkland and says you know this 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 shooter displayed red flag signs, but the police couldn't do anything, and these laws or laws like this would given it would have given the police uh, the ability to you know act when they wouldn't have before which is which is bogus it's not it's not true and we all know that that there's laws on the books you can't uh, make terroristic threats against people that you know you're you're capable of uh carrying out you if you're a danger to self or others every state has uh laws on the books that if you're you know a danger to yourself or other legitimately um then you can be taken into custody for you know a period of time to be evaluated and things like that and at that time um firearms can be seized in certain situations so there 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 are ways that the firearms could have been seized from the parkland shooter um even without red flag laws the problem with that incident was they didn't act on any of those indicators so that was that they didn't have any legal justification to do anything they just didn't and so Um, but that's sort of how the, the article tees up the, 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 the debate. Yep. You got it. Thanks for covering for me. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what, what suddenly happened with the mic setup here and in my headphones, but I lost all my audio from my headphones and, and I have to listen through the actual computer now. Cool. Uh, hopefully we don't get a feedback loop or anything like that. 
So uh, let's go on now to an article in the Denver Post. Uh, this is a story near and dear to my heart. This is, uh, of course, right on the feature image. Right on the featured image is of the state capitol, which is about, oh, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes from my house. Uh, Denver District Court judge dismisses lawsuit on Colorado red flag gun law. So another red red flag gun law issue, right? And there's a couple of challenges actually going up against this one here in Colorado. This particular challenge is an interesting one and honestly a bit of a long shot. Uh, this is where several... House Republicans, uh, specifically Minority Leader Patrick uh, Neville, uh, Representative Lori Sane, and Representative Dave Williams, they all sued uh, the state, the governor, Polis, over this bill. They claimed that it that they violated the House's or the, the Constitution's requirements for the House to read the bill in its entirety when it was being considered. Uh, the the only exception is if unanimously the House members all say no, we don't need to read the whole bill. Let's go ahead and vote on it. Uh, they claim that they wanted it to be read, but th- that it was denied. What it comes down to is this Denver district judge uh, basically said, "Well, I looked over the case, and uh, you know, you guys are bickering about how the House went about its procedures." He didn't see that there was a violation of the Constitution, and he dismissed it. That's basically what it, what it came down to. So it was a, it was an interesting. Like normally, normally we see challenges against laws like these based around constitutional, uh, at least uh, U.S. constitutional issues, Second Amendment issues, maybe due process issues, uh, that sort of thing. This was more of a procedural issue that is procedure that is required. It's written into the Constitution. Uh, but uh, there was disagreement as to how that went about. So uh, anyway, the point is, is this particular challenge against the Colorado red flag law did not succeed. Mm. Yep. So it wasn't actually a, a challenge to the law itself, just a procedural thing. That's right. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. They, they weren't claiming it was a Second Amendment thing or anything like that. Just, just straight up. You know the state constitution was violated in the procedure of uh, they they claimed that it was not a unanimous decision to uh, to forego the full reading of the bill uh, and uh, and by law it's supposed to be read in in its entirety when it's uh, requested is my understanding right. so. On our way now to Massachusetts, opposite side of the country. Massachusetts gun laws challenge could become a Second Amendment Supreme Court blockbuster is the title of this article, according to WBUR.org. Matthew, tell us what's going on in Massachusetts. Yeah, so it's not a surprise. Massachusetts is one of the most heavily regulated uh, states in the country. Uh, we we typically think of, you know, New York and California, but Massachusetts has some of the most oppressive gun laws. Um, and so this article kind of focuses and says, you know, that may be kind of the, the point where uh, because they are so, so oppressive that that might these cases that are popping up may be the ones that actually are taken up by the Supreme Court. Um, if you guys you guys have obviously know of the Heller decision, right? Um, it, it, it's super, super important. DC versus Heller. That was actually back in 2008. 
And so in the last 12 years, there haven't been any big cases involving, you know, the individual right to carry a firearm outside of your home for personal protection and whatnot. So all these states are challenging uh, setting up laws and, and then there's appeals and, and, and all kinds of things. So we thought that the Supreme Court was going to take up that New York uh, Rifle Association versus state of New York um, case, but they, they didn't. And we were all like, Oh boy, this, you know, same old song and dance. Um, but one thing that this article mentions in that, um, statement that Kavanaugh made, he, he said, uh, that they were dropping, he agreed with not pursuing the case because the law had been repealed. And so therefore, you know, there was no standing and the, the point was mute, moot. Um, but he said that the court should address that issue very soon or soon. That's quote, the court should address that issue soon. So um, obviously it's it's on his mind and he, the, they are more probably pro-gun. Uh, we would expect or more constitutionally protection of the Second Amendment. Um, and a couple of the cases they mentioned is the challenge to Massachusetts public carry law. Um, and that is basically a, a May issue type situation where you have to show good cause in order to get a concealed license. Uh, concealed carry license in, in Massachusetts. So, you know, y you pass all the background checks, you're totally legit. You've ne never committed a crime in your life. Um, and you want to pay your money, you want to get training, you do do all that, you go in front of, and you say, I'd like to get a permit. And they say, why? And you say, well, because I want to protect myself. And they say, that's not a good enough answer. You know, you have to show good cause. So why, what more do you need to show that other than I want to be able to protect my life? They'll, they'll, you know, in California, it's similar. Uh, I, I know people that had to fill out like, you know, I'm a business owner and I transport money and things and that. And it's crazy because if you think about it, they're saying your life isn't worth enough on its own to protect. But if you're carrying money or valuables or you have to work in a bad area, it, then it's okay. So there, it, it's just, it's ridiculous, right? Um, and so that's one of the laws. And the other one uh, they were talking about is uh, the assault rifle ban um, and the ammunition ban in Massachusetts. So they said they, they noted these two cases specifically that may be taken up in the future by the Supreme Court and could have dramatic effect on a lot of these other laws across the country. Yeah. You know, Massachusetts uh, is a state that issues what they call a license to carry, uh, kind of like Texas, uh, where if you have a license to carry, it applies both concealed and openly. You have to, you have to actually have that license to carry openly in Texas, which I think I've, I've found that to be rather odd. Of course, it wasn't that many years ago that you couldn't actually openly carry uh, in in Texas. So um, anyway, that's beside the point. Massachusetts is a lot more difficult to get a permit in, mm -hmm. and so that is that is the issue here because there's really no there's no good or predictable or common means for getting the license that's required for you to carry a gun in public. Period. That's totally subjective. Yeah. So uh, agreed that this is a, a case that needs to be picked up. And uh, I, I think, you know, there was a little bit of a, you know, a, a stink raised over Kavanaugh not going along with uh, the dissenting opinion in, in its entirety uh, with the uh, uh, that New York case. Mm -hmm. uh, I think 
if you read through his what his what he wrote um, for as far as his opinion was, hey, they dismissed it. You know, I I I, I think on the principle of the matter, Kavanaugh was basically saying, uh, yeah, this this law is a you know unjust law. Like I would have sided with my uh, more conservative court members here, but it was dismissed. There's no case here to be made of this. Like, so I go along with, you know, the, uh, the majority opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your point, like you said, he said that the course should address these types of issues here very soon. There's currently 10 cases that are on the Supreme court's, uh, docket that they are looking at considering a bunch of different challenges and we'll have to watch these things closely. Um, you know, so these Massachusetts ones are uh, involved in that. Obviously, um, there's there's public carry assault weapon laws. That's the Massachusetts cases. There's uh, um, I think let's see. I'm trying to remember. Uh, I'm going through my notes here. Uh, I thought there was one about magazines, but I might be wrong on that. It might be part of yeah. It, it's 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 sort of wrapped into the whole assault weapons and also high capacity magazines. Sort of like there's a case that that deals with both of those. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what they uh, what they do here. Um, you know, I'm apprehensive because of recent rulings or or failures to rule on some of these issues, these Second Amendment issues. Uh, so, but I I hope that there could be another kind of landmark case similar to Heller that is broader than Heller because Heller is quite a, it's a defined scope that's relatively narrow. Um, it, it, it's a big precedent and it helps in a lot of ways, but it wasn't the end all be all for all second amendment, you know, rights issues. So it'll be interesting to see if, if we get a ruling in the near future that expands upon Heller and takes it kind of the next level. So, yeah, we'll keep. Uh, oh, and yeah, that's right. Mark is talking about the roster case uh, out of out of California. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's a tough one. You know, where you're in a state where basically you can't buy anything that's <laughs> you can't buy any of these new guns that come to market because none of them are. Uh, you know, number one, they have to go through the process of ending up on California's roster, and then they to get on the roster, they got to meet all these new stringent requirements um, to get on there. Uh, even things like as simple as a manual safety, and a lot of these new gun models you see come out don't initially come out with one, and all kinds of crazy stuff there out in California. So I'd love to see that roster business just get totally shut down. So stay tuned for uh, these uh, these cases at the Supreme Court. We'll see if they take any of these up and what comes of them out of uh well this is newschannel9.com uh atlanta georgia the judge says here won't suspend georgia handgun carry law during virus emergency basically what you have here is governor kemp in in georgia uh has refused to grant a suspension on requirement for permits to say carry a gun concealed uh, I believe open carry is, is is you know legal to do in Georgia but uh, to carry concealed it requires a permit and it's not a very high standard on honestly to get a permit in Georgia but you still have to go through the application process and what the state of state of Georgia has done here 
has shut down what they consider to be everything other than essential services and processing concealed carry permits or licenses is not a an essential service is is basically what what they're saying what the gov- what the governor of Georgia is saying so a couple of uh, challenges to that have been put forth uh georgiacarry.org a gun rights organization in Georgia uh has uh, filed a couple i think they're on their third filing now uh, challenging these various mostly covid-19 related restrictions this most recent or well the most most recent one to have gotten to the judge and to be ruled on the judge declined to to suspend the law uh, on this issue and and it's a fair point that georgiacarry.org raises right well do we or don't we have a right to possess and carry a gun with us in some fashion, right? And, of course, I don't think Governor Kemp gives a crap. Uh, I think there is no right. I think you have to ask permission to carry that gun. Um, so I imagine there are those, Matthew, you know, that are unable to obtain their legal papers, their permits to carry their guns concealed that are probably just doing so anyway. It'd be oh, interesting course. if somebody got caught, and uh, that could really turn into an interesting case, especially where uh, this was a temporary closure of these government services. Yeah, I mean, imagine somebody. I, I mean, here, here's the thing. I think um, that the, this type of thing is punitive. Totally, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just. I don't like guns, and therefore, I'm going to punish gun owners. It, it has nothing to do with with uh, with public safety, right? I mean, there, it, yeah. this is just it, it's it's just bizarre to me that people think that this has anything to do with public safety. It has nothing. I mean, you think about all the people that purchased firearms, new new firearm owners, and want to go out and train, and they shut down, you know, ranges, and and I know I couldn't teach classes for a while, and things like that. And it's like it's antithetical to the idea of. We want everybody to be safe with guns. We don't mind guns. We just want people to be safe, but we're not going to allow you to train and we're not going to allow you to or legal channels to be or legally. Right. And so it's just, I mean, imagine you're, you, you know, you, you uh, have a restraining order against somebody and you need, you want to go get a, a, a firearm and you want to carry it concealed and you can't, and then you end up getting killed. Uh, by that by that person that you had a restraining order against and if if there was some sort of documentation that showed that this this person guy or girl whatever went and wanted to get a restraining order but couldn't you know because it's not essential um i think that would be horrible and so it's not about safety i don't think not in my mind but i'm not no, i'm not the you're governor absolutely Jordan, right so. <laughs> you know i mean one one interesting thing is that most in most states it takes like you know, up to 90 days to process uh, permits for concealed carry. And, you know, this, this sort of thing where it, it's not like by, by shutting down permit processing, they're keeping anybody from actually getting a permit, at least in the short term. But it, it be, that, that's beside the point. That really, you know, shouldn't matter. And I know that that's one answer I heard, there was some some talk here in Colorado with some similar issues, and it's like, well, this is not an emergency situation as far as getting a permit. And it's like, well, that's not always the case because there is a provision here in Colorado that a sheriff can issue a, a provisional permit 
uh, in emergency situations. And my understanding is they're not in some counties even processing those. And that's really concerning to me because if you have a, a situation where someone has a legitimate, identifiable, reasonable threat that they are aware of that causes them to go purchase a gun, hopefully get some training, um, but they they feel a need to carry that gun with them immediately because their life is immediately potentially in danger. And we're t- a lot of times we're talking about uh, you know, serious domestic violence type cases, uh, abuse cases, stuff like that, where the, you know, the person has been able to get out of that situation and, uh, but they're concerned for their safety and legitimately so, because we know how that stuff goes sometimes. And again, there's a provision that would allow a sheriff to look at a situation, and go, okay, we'll provisionally, we'll run an initial quick check on you. Okay. Everything comes back clean. Here's a provisional permit while we process your, your full, you know, complete permit uh, over the next 90 days. And, you know, in some cases you can't even get that now. So uh, I would say that it is a relevant, uh, immediate infringement on on people's rights, right to protection, right to self-defense, uh, you know. So that would be what I have to say about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also another story here that, highlights how georgiacarry.org they've been leading the charge in a big way here and on as of monday monday morning may 4th they filed their third lawsuit against governor kemp in the state of georgia so uh just they're 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 doing everything everything they can they keep finding more and more of these cases because in in one of the cases uh it was uh uh some one lady i forgot her name already in this case it's some other person entirely, and, and basically they're, they're finding, finding these individuals that are prohibited from being able to carry and protect themselves, and, and then they're you know, teaming up basically with that person and leading the charge on filing these lawsuits. So probably likely this one won't get through either, and by the time something does happen or whatever, then a lot of these restrictions, I, I imagine, by that point will be lifted anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, be 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 vigilant out there, folks, and and stay sharp, and and you know don't give up on your rights, even if it is a so-called emergency. ABAJournal.com, interesting story here. Uh, this one also out of Massachusetts, and what this was, I think I th- I feel like maybe we talked about this, maybe not, I don't know, uh, maybe it was. New Jersey, I don't remember. It just feels like last time we we had a just or a uh, legislative news episode, we talked about something similar about you know gun businesses being shut down um, due to these various governor's orders, right? Mm-hmm. Shutting down non-essential businesses and you know classifying what is and what isn't essential and all this stuff, right? And so, in the state of Massachusetts, Governor Charlie Baker shut down non-essential businesses. And that included shutting down uh, uh, gun retailers. And so a challenge came before the courts there. And in that case, a judge ordered reopening of gun stores. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Thumbs up. Yeah. I think you were talking about California. I think we talked about a couple of those uh, orders that, you know, gun stores were closing and things like that. Um, but this judge, the federal judge, uh, Douglas Woodlock, 
pretty cool quote or pretty good quote. He says, uh, we don't surrender our constitutional rights. Woodlock said, these plaintiffs have constitutional rights that deserve respect and vindication. And it becomes necessary for a court to do that rather than the executive when the executive declines. So Governor Charlie Baker shuts it down, won't hear anything, won't open it up. And so he's saying we have to intervene because these constitutional rights are being stripped. They're, they're, it's a violation, right? And so he puts an injunction, which is pretty cool. But, you know, he, and then he says, you know, reasonably, he says, okay, well, we want you to, you know, gun stores make sales by appointment, no more than four people or blah, 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 those types of, you know, things. But um, a straight, you know, outright closure and forced closure is, uh, is totally bogus and totally, you know, in, at least in this uh, uh, federal judge's mind, unconstitutional or you wouldn't have stepped in. Well, I know that one thing that we're seeing too, just all across the, the nation is, and not just on the issue of guns or gun rights, but all kinds of legal challenges are, are beginning to surface mm-hmm. uh, over a lot of the shutdown. I mean, we've never shut down our country economically, uh financially, you know, all this stuff. We've never done it on this level, on this scale for this long a time too. It's just, it's really an unprecedented time. And, and, uh, you know, I don't want to get too much into the politics of all that, but it's, we're just, we haven't seen the end of it either. I don't think, I think there's going to be more challenges and, and maybe things that come after the fact, even, you know, people, uh, making claims about how their lives were destroyed. Businesses, uh, shuttered and 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 money lost because they were forced to shut down and there's real real losses that have resulted because of that so uh anyway uh it's good to see at least one thing swung i think the right direction in this case with the judge ordering reopening of gun stores too bad that the judge in georgia couldn't figure things out with regards to you know it really isn't a big deal to temporarily let people just carry their guns like geez we should have constitutional carry anyway that's my my stance nationwide Agreed. Uh, one final thing um, this is a a bonus mm-hmm. and uh, not gonna you know like we're not gonna play it or anything uh, as part of the podcast here today but may, bringing to your attention quite an interesting video that the NRA put together and this one features BJ Baldwin who we actually talked about in our most recent Justified Saves podcast episode. Uh, the first Tuesday of each month, uh, we do the Justified Saves episodes where we feature all these civilian uses of justified deadly force um, all across the country. And this is one that was featured in that. And this is quite a remarkable story where BJ and his girlfriend, Tori, uh, also a prominent individual in the 2A community, a former pro shooter with Glock. Uh, that's Tori Nonaka. Uh, BJ Baldwin and Tori uh, are, are a thing now, and, and, and they were grabbing a bite to eat, he said, after a long day. Uh, stopped in at this uh, In-N-Out Burger, uh, and it sounded like they, you know, probably went to the drive-thru or they ordered and picked it up or whatever, but they're, they're, they're hanging out there basically in the parking lot area, uh, sitting down eating. And, uh, they're approached by two individuals, one of which was armed with a gun and pointed that gun at Tori and then pointed it at BJ and then pointed it back at Tori and 
apparently fired two shots at her and then turned and fired six shots at BJ. But by the time that BJ basically points out that he knew it was time to go when the gun went back from him back to his girlfriend, uh, BJ drew his gun and put 10 shots on the bad guy. And in this video, this is a, this is quite a, it's a humbling video for sure. I mean, it's fascinating too at the same time. Uh, you know, he, he was prepared. He was prepared that day. He was carrying his gun. He's trained. They feature some video of him shooting. And he, he obviously has skills, you know. I mean, he's putting rounds on target at a pretty good clip. And, you know, that's 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 better than a lot of people can honestly say about themselves. And he says very clearly, he put nine rounds into the chest and then one round that ended it into, a, as he described, the central nervous system, a headshot. So... We we include the the link to this video. You can go check it out. It's on YouTube, um, and uh, I think you'll enjoy watching and learning about this experience that BJ had that we just talked about on the podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah, and, and if if you're kind of like not a big fan of the NRA typical NRA commercials, I think this is a pretty good one. Uh, kind of strays from the typical script. It is a little bit political in nature, but the NRA yeah, towards I the mean, end. Yeah, they're 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 a political lobbying group, right? Like they're in addition to to gun rights, like they're mm-hmm. not. A, so um, they interject some politics into it, but it, it it is a it's a pretty good good uh, well put together uh, ad. Yep, it it really is. It's it's a compelling video to watch because the story's compelling. It's real. It's true. It's also recent and relevant. Uh, you know, and I think the only reason he was comfortable coming out and telling the story like this, this openly so soon is because it was investigated and the DA there came right out and said, uh, there was no, no foul here, uh, in the actions of BJ. That was a purely a self-defense situation. And even the brother of the man that was shot and killed, uh, you know, it it was the one man that was wielding the gun. And his brother, you know, there's some stories out there, interviews with him. He, he seems to kind of imply that, well, I, w- I wasn't really, you know, I didn't agree with what was going down. I just was kind of along for the ride, but it doesn't really matter. But the brother uh, also asked that no charges be filed against BJ. So kind of interesting that you actually have, uh, you know, the dead man's brother, right, actually come out that openly and be and say, no, there should be no, no, you know, my brother, Hey, I know we screwed up. He screwed up. Uh, BJ did the right, you know, he did the thing he did. He did what we had to do. So it's a, it's a, it's a compelling story and uh, really, really quite remarkable. And I, I think it's a testament too, because BJ really touches on this fact that he was prepared, that he was carrying and he was permitted, but also that he, that he'd been you know, he, he trained and he spends time practicing and, and taking training courses and stuff uh, to shoot defensively. So uh, that's a really cool thing to see. I think it's a positive message, notwithstanding the political twist it takes at the end uh, of the video. But, I you know, regardless of that, the story itself is a great story. And there's, there's stuff that can be learned from that. Yep, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course, uh, you'll recall, we I remember we talked about that and, and, you know, talked about the fact that he fired 10 shots and, you know, for some guns, for some, a lot of you folks, the guns you carry, if this was you, and by the way, that it, he, he made it pretty clear that last shot was the one that really, truly, completely ended it. So that 10th shot was a headshot, not an easy one to make. Um, 
Yeah. If you're the, carrying a shield with eight rounds or something, like you, you didn't make it to the end of this gunfight, yeah. potentially. Yeah, it's something to think about for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and one other thing in, in the interview, and I didn't know this fact until I, I saw the little interview, but um, he, he he identified those those guys about, he says, 80, uh, 80 yards away. That's a mm-hmm. long distance to identify somebody with a firearm. And he said they were closing the distance fast. And so... You know, I, I think sometimes we think that these things are always right up, you know, up close and personal. But luckily, or thankfully, they had some situational awareness to be able to pick this threat up, you know, at 80 yards and, and, yeah. and gave them some time to formulate like, hey, I'm going to move here. I can, it, it, it just, it, it probably was the, the a more defining or important factor in him than surviving more so than his individual skills, yep. I would say. So yep. that's something to think about. You know, it, it, uh, yeah, it's a great point. You know, it's, it, being, being tuned in, being aware of your surroundings, um, you know, the fact that you took notice, right? That, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's huge. And, and having those, those seconds to kind of prepare and go, hmm, something looks a little off here. And, uh, he, he mentioned how, uh, it took, Tori kind of, I mean, she she had she kind of got his attention too a little bit, like BJ, BJ, BJ. She, she said his name several times, kind of in a whisper, trying to get his attention too. Like I think he had noticed, but then she, I think, was the one that probably first noticed that there was a gun present. Mm-hmm. And uh, then from there, the rest of the history. And sounded like a lot of the shooting, you know, it, it just didn't occur at eighty yards away. It was more right. like fifteen yards, right? Um, but uh, and. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to try to assume too much, but it kind of looks like BJ, sh- you know, the gun he's shooting and that, that they feature in the gun while he, or in the, in the video while he's shooting, um, looks like some kind of Glock with a, with a red dot on it. Mm-hmm. And I just was thinking, hmm, it'd be interesting to pick his brain a little bit about that. And as far as whether he felt, particularly if he had a shootout at 15 yards and making that headshot, if that was, if that played into it at all. Um, having that confidence level, if you will, or or knowing that he could make that kind of shot, um, that's that's what I see. Is that you know a red dot at 15 yards on a headshot? That is a game changer. Um, whether I take that shot at 15 yards with iron sights in lower light conditions, you know, I, I might not take that shot. Mm-hmm. But if I have a little more confidence in my equipment, because it's a little bit easier with that dot at that kind of that that's where red dot just really truly shines is making more precise shots at distance with a very imprecise, small, short-range weapon like a pistol. So, I don't know. Interesting. Something to think about. Um, You know, lately I've been carrying a dot uh, more and more, and I like shooting it. I've been familiarizing myself with it more and more. I've been shooting competitively with a red dot for a couple years, a couple seasons now, and uh, doing it more and more. So, I, I think it's probably not far off before I make that complete transition and and only carry a dot uh, for the most part. Yeah. So what about you, Matthew? I know this is kind of the end here of the show, but I'm just curious, like 
where, where you're at with that. I know you've got a couple guns, or you at least got one gun with a dot on it. Both, no, actually. Um, I just, I, I see it so much better. Uh, I, plus, you know, I'm only 44, but for whatever reason, my eyes, uh, I had LASIK done a long time ago, and I don't know if that has anything, but I have difficulty at times uh, picking up my sights at different planes, and, you know, I don't wear reading glasses and things like that. It's really... You know, sometimes up close, I, I, I can't really see the, the sights as well. Um, and so the dot really for me just makes it so much easier to target focus and just, you know, have, have, have a dot there and not have to really worry about, Hey, I can see this plane pretty decently, but when it's here, it's a little blurry. And then, so for me, it just kind of simplifies it and it, it just made, it made it a lot easier for me. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Good stuff, man. Well, folks, that's a wrap for today's episode, uh, the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode 418. Legislative news we covered. I hope that uh, it was helpful for you to hear about these things and and know those things that you should be aware of and following and uh, fighting for uh, as far as your rights are concerned. Today's episode is sponsored by Laser X training software, dry fire training software. You can find it at laserapp.com, L-A-S-R-A-P-P.com. And also, Next Level Trainings CERT Pistols. You can check those out, concealedcarry.com forward slash CERT, S-I-R-T. And also, ammosupplywarehouse.com. Thanks for listening and or viewing, folks. We appreciate you all. We'll be back here next week with more great coverage from the Concealed Carry Podcast and the team here. Maybe we'll get Jacob back on today. He just was, uh, you know, I actually invited Jacob. I said, hey, you know, you got time to do the podcast today. And and unfortunately, he had some things he had to take care of, and that's the way it goes. And so we got stuck with Graybeard. But, mm. uh, <laughs> but guys, uh, we'll be back here next week. And until then, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.